Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to, good to see all of you. And uh, if you're visiting, really glad you're here. I uh, hope, you hope you feel welcome, and if possible, I'd love to meet you after the service out at the out of the info counter, as Bill was saying, uh, I always get excited to kick off a new series. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be moving around the Bible, looking at different things. And we're looking at, you can see there the title, Best Supporting Role. And, and uh, typically when we study people in the Bible, uh, we, we typically focus on, you know, on a lot of the main characters. They get a lot of the coverage. Uh, the marquee names, if you will, you got Adam and Eve, you got Noah, Mephibosheth, always talking about him, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, on and on. And if you've been around church for, you know, a year or more, a lot of those names probably are familiar uh, to you. That's because we, we talk about them uh, a lot. In this series, we're going to focus in on some of the people behind the greats. We're going to focus on uh, the supporting roles. Listen to this quote. A supporting character is a person who plays a role in the life of a story's protagonist, the main character. Novelists and screenwriters don't anchor a story around supporting characters, but they use them in the process of world building to create a compelling backdrop to the main character's story arc. And what we're going to see in this series is that you know, all of these great characters, they, they probably wouldn't be so great if it wasn't for their supporting the people around them, the supporting roles. And one of the things about God that really has always been amazing to me is that God chooses to do a lot of his work on planet Earth through people. Like if I was God, just for the record, if you're taking notes, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. Because uh, just imagine, the Bible talks about God, like he is so powerful that he literally spoke the planets into being, just words. Like all of creation, he speaks it all into being. So if I was God, you know, I, I would sort of clap on, clap off, everything's fixed, stop messing it up, we're done, let's move on. But uh, God, I, don't, I totally don't know why, uh, uh, why he chooses to do it, do it this way, but he's so incredibly patient. And uh, he really does. He seems to love to work through people uh, to accomplish a lot of his work and, and primarily to accomplish a lot of his work in other people's lives. And so what I mean is very often in this life, we get to be Jesus to another person, to each other, to, to other people. And just thinking about this message, I was thinking, you know, in my lifetime, I was sort of forming a mental list of, of all the significant people, the supporting roles, people who have positively influenced me, impacted my life, people who've, you know, maybe they've been with me all of my life or most of my life, or maybe there's people, you know, those people that they seem to come in and out of your life sort of seasonally, and uh, people who have uh, encouraged, people who have spoken counsel into my life, correction, uh, you know, guidance, etc. And as I'm forming that list, I thought, wow, that's a long list of, of people. And that might be a cool exercise for you to do just to write down who are the, you know, who are the, the supporting roles in my life? Who are all the people that God has used to accomplish, continue his work in, in my life? People like parents, siblings, friends, teachers, Sunday school teachers, youth pastors, pastors, neighbors, bosses, total strangers. God, God loves to use 
people. He loves to use people in doing his work. So we're going to jump into this series. And uh, this weekend, our first nominee, if you will, for best supporting role is an amazing woman named Abigail. So uh, let's pray. And then we're going to take a look at this, uh, this amazing lady. So let's pray. So Lord, thank you so much for, <clears throat> for a new day. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the rain. Thanks for uh, the freedom to gather I thank you that uh, it's not just another Sunday. I thank you that today is a brand new day. It has not been lived yet. And and I pray that you would come uh, and do what you want to do. We believe that you're with us, that you're actively with us. And so I pray that that you would go way beyond my words today. Just come close to each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, stories found, the story we're going to be looking at, it's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 25. Uh, you can turn there, but we'll, we'll be putting it up on the screens as well. And again, you've got Abigail. Abigail is a supporting role to, here's a well-known name, is, is David. David's the main character. And David uh, has recently been chosen by God and anointed by the prophet Samuel as the new king of Israel. And normally that would be something to celebrate, but in this case, it actually put... Uh, actually put David's life in danger because, well, there, there already was a king in Israel and a guy named Saul. And Saul also had been chosen by God, anointed by Samuel as the first king, the very first king of, of Israel. But at this point in the story, and it's not very far into his reign, uh, God has actually rejected Saul as the king. And, and basically, he's rejected Saul because Saul will not obey him. Saul will not submit to his leadership. And so he's, God has now chosen David to be the next king of Israel. And uh, that's a bit of a threat <laughs> uh, to Saul. And so he's after going after David. David is on the run uh, with a small army of supporters, and he's in the wilderness. So chapter 25, it starts out with an announcement. And, and it's, a, it's a very significant announcement because it totally sets up the, the context for the story that we're going to look at. Verse 1 says this. It says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. So, stop right there. So how does that set the scene? Well, I underlined Samuel died because Samuel's like a really significant dude uh, in, in the Old Testament and within the history of, of Israel. And it's like, wait a minute, such a big event, such a short report. It's just like, you know, now on to the weather. Samuel died. No, it's raining in Toledo. It's like, wait a minute, Samuel died. That's a big, that's a really big deal. But what, what the writer is doing here is really for us as the reader, the writer is establishing, okay, be aware that the primary mentor in the life of this young, uh, soon-to-be king, uh, uh, the one who literally spoke on God's behalf and said, you, David, are going to be the next king. The one who has you know, been a mentor in David's life. The one who, now that David's on the run, has been encouraging David, has been you know, uh, giving David guidance, etc. Well, Samuel, Samuel is dead. And so now David, David's on his own. Again, his mentor is gone. And now as we move into the story, uh, David is about to face uh, really a a significant test. So here's, let's carry on the story. Verse two, a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. 
His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Okay, so the story's off and running. And again, three main characters, there's David, Nabal, who's the, who's the, he's a wealthy landowner. Uh, uh, and then you've got Abigail, who is Nabal's wife. And it says of Abigail, it says that she is an intelligent and beautiful woman. And I actually found a picture of, of her online. Oh, don't tell Helen. She's here next service. I want her to surprise her with that, but that's uh, from our trip. But that's my wife. <clears throat> And she is an intelligent and beautiful woman, let me tell you. But okay, okay. So, but so far in the story, David is saying, you can take the picture off, otherwise I'll be super distracted. Okay, good. <clears throat> he sends these 10 young guys to Nabal, and basically he's going, they, they go to Nabal and they say, hey, really what they're doing is saying, can you provide food for David and his men? And just consider this, David and his men, like, the, you know, like 600 guys, how do you, they're, you know, they're running through the wilderness, on the, uh, hiding out from Saul, how do you feed 600 guys when you're on the run. Well, what they would do, they would, as they moved around, they would basically be a security force for, for little villages, for landowners, you know, like they would protect workers, they would protect their herds, their flocks, their crops. And in return, they would get food from these people. And it says in the story, you notice it says a few times, it's shearing time, it's shearing time. It's like, well, well why do they keep saying that? Well, because shearing time was, was a significant time. It was a time of celebrating. It was a time of harvesting the, the wool, if you will. And, and so there would have been, it was marked by feasting. And so David's men informed Nabal, hey, hey, we've cared for your workers. Now, could you in return, could you care for us. And so how does Nabal respond? He responds this way, verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Probably not the response they expected to get, but, but Nabal really is responding true to his character. If you remember earlier on, he was described as surly and mean in his dealings. I had to look surly up. I didn't, that's not a word I've, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, familiar with. Surly means churlishly rude. Well, that doesn't help. <laughs> I don't even know. I know rude, but, but it means bad-tempered. It means bad-tempered. And so, uh, really, that's, he is responding true to character, and that is not much of a thank you considering the, the, the amount of security, etc., that David and his men have provided. And so how does David respond to Nabal's response? Verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. He turned into Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah, you feel lucky, punk. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, so David, David reacts, right? So they did. And David strapped on his own as well. They're all loading up. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Now this is where this young soon-to-be king is facing 
This is a significant test after the death of his mentor, Samuel. Because if you, if you read back in, in 1 Samuel before this story, there's times where this young, soon-to-be king faces issues, faces opposition. But what you see David do over and over is he's really quick to run to God. Hey, what, do you, what, what should I do? What do you think I, I, I should do? We see that over and over. But, but this time, there, there's no running to God. He totally reacts to the offense of Nabal's response. And there really is, it's quite an excessive reaction. Like, oh, really? You're not going to share your food with us? Well, we are going to wipe you out. Like, it just seems like, whoa, David, that's a little extreme. And, and you know, when you think about uh, react, reacting to things, isn't it true that as, as human beings, uh, uh, that is something that we all, it's part of the human condition. We all do this. Right? We all react. And psychologists would say it's either, you know, it's either fight, like, oh yeah, you lean in, or it's flight, like, oh, I'm out of here, or it's freeze, where you just sort of, well, I guess you freeze. But but whatever way you tend to react, isn't it accurate that that when we do react, it's almost always we react excessively? Meaning we're so there's so many emotions going off that in the moment, like what David's going through, we've lost perspective. Like, like I just, boy, I have so many memories going through my mind right now where I, with strong emotion, reacted and, and, and reacted excessively. So in those times, it really reveals part of our brokenness as humans. And in times of reacting, we need something, and, and, and you'll see where I'm going right now, but we need someone stronger, someone stronger to step in and to, and to sort of write the boat, be ballast in the ship of our life, if that makes sense to you, like, like really to bring an accurate perspective. And, and you know, we look at how uh, Samuel, that was totally how Samuel lived his life. Samuel wasn't the king of Israel, uh, but in a sense, he kind of was the king. He led, he really led the nation. And, and, and Samuel's, during Samuel's life, Israel went through all kinds of crazy things. And there's times where you can see Samuel, there's emotion. He reacts emotionally, but he's smart enough to go, okay, I better go to one who's stronger right now to get some clarity. So you see Samuel always going to God. And again, he would have instructed David. He would have taught David, look, when things get crazy, what do you do when the emotions are, are, are you know, exploding, etc.? What do you do, David? You run to God. Well, uh, David doesn't do that. This is, a, this is a key time, a key time in this soon-to-be king's life because uh, his predecessor, Saul, Saul was rejected as king by God because Saul, Saul wouldn't obey God. Saul would not submit to God. And why, why is that? Why, why wouldn't Saul submit to God? Well, you know, if you look at the life of Saul, and we won't be doing that, but uh, when you look at his life, Saul was a classic pleaser. He was the king, he was tall, he, was, like, he had all these great you know, character traits, but he was a very insecure king. And when you look at the life of Saul, he was, he was more prone, he was quicker to follow the people's desires than he was to follow God's desires. Now, when I look at David, David does not strike me as an insecure man. In fact, I would put David, I don't know, on the other side of the spectrum, David, I think his challenge is he's a very independent man. If you look at the life of David, he's quicker to follow his own desires than he is to follow God, follow God's. And so here's David and his men, you know, they've all, they're all loaded up and they're on their way 
to Nabal's place. And meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants who witnessed the whole interaction with Nabal and David's men, uh, he goes running to Abigail. And this is where we meet Abigail. And he says, ooh, Abigail. Uh, he, like he tells her what, ha- what happened. He, and he, and he, he supports uh, David's, the men, David's men, their claim. He confirms their claim. Like, hey, these guys were amazing to us. And it says in the passage, they actually were like a wall of security, a wall of protection around us. He's like, Abigail, you need to do something because disaster is hanging over uh, our, our master and, and over his entire household because of how he's responded to David. And so you better do something and you better do something quick. And here's where we see the beauty of Abigail. Verse 18, it says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep. I don't know what she dressed them in. Five seahs, 60 pounds of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she told her servants, go on ahead. I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now she's a really smart woman. Because we find out later that she knows that her husband, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Well she, well, she knows that he's a fool. She knows that she's not, probably not surprised by what's going on. So she does not involve him in, in, in what she's doing. And basically she's like to, her, to the servants, empty out the pantry, empty out the freezer, load up them donkeys and, and get it out to David. And I'll be right behind you. And here's where, Again, in this series, best supporting role. Here's where we really see Abigail in her supporting role to David, to the main character. And remember, the focus of this story is not on Abigail, right? She's a supporting role. The focus of the story is David. It's all about David, this story. And the author of this story is is now going to use Abigail to influence and 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 hopefully hopefully nudge David to do what the author wants. David to do. And as the story continues, we really see Abigail in her role. We really see her playing out a, uh, uh, a, biblical, a biblical principle. Here's what I mean. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No, tempta- no temptation has overtaken you or seized you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, that's probably, looking over this crowd, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty familiar verse to, to many of you. And I, and I think one of the, I think we do a disservice sometimes to this verse. And what I mean is we typically pull this verse out and, and hand it to someone when you're struggling with, with some dark sort of hidden sin. Right, whether it's a sexual or addiction, something like we tend to we tend to typically apply it to those kind of struggles. But but I think this verse is way more. It's way broader in 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 what it's trying to communicate. And and the actual Greek word that they translate into temptation, it also means testing. So I'm going to read that verse again, and I'm going to switch those words out because I think it helps uh, with the meaning of this of this verse. No testing has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, you will be tested. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, I, I find that helpful. Because like, why, why do you take a test? I mean, if you're a student or, or you know, whatever. If, like, why do you take a test? Well, a test is a way of... of revealing what you actually know. Because like, 
like most of us, many of us can talk a good game about all kinds of things. Oh, we can talk and talk and talk and talk. But if we actually took a test, I think it would reveal what we really know about that topic. And when you talk about tests in life, I think what it does is, is it exposes, we can, again, talk a good game, or even in our faith, we can talk a good game. But when you go through a test, it exposes what really is important to me. Well, what, what do I really believe? What do I really uh, uh, value? And, and the Bible's very clear. Like, God does test us. He does. And it's not because he's like, you know, it's not to humiliate, it's not to condemn, it's really for our own good that God tests us. Because he, he wants to help us see, in the testing, help us see the areas in our life where we're not walking with him, where we're walking our own path, a dangerous path. Right? He wants us to see where, where we're not walking in, the, in truth. We're not walking in the freedom that he, that he has for us. And so, and so he will test us. But he tests us for our own good. And I think this is a test in David's life. And, you know, in the eyes of the men around David, his, his you know, the 400 guys, etc., I guess all of them, I'm sure some of them were like, whoa, David, this is a little extreme. But I think the majority of them were, they, they, would, have, they would have saw his reaction as a justified reaction. And again, they're warring men like, yeah, they're just excited. Let's go, we're going to work. And, uh, but in the eyes of God, his reaction was not justified. And it says that, you know, uh, uh, that disaster was hanging over Nabal's household. Well, you know, I would say in this moment, disaster is also hanging over David's household. Right? It's, it's hanging over David's future kingship. And, and really the test, the test right now in David's life is God is leaning in and he's saying, David, David, who's in charge? Who's in charge in your life? Like, you know, who has the final say in your life, David? Uh, remember your predecessor. Remember, remember Saul was led astray. Saul was swayed by the culture. Saul was swayed by the people around him. And, and David, will you be led astray by, by your own desires? Or David, will you submit to my leadership in your life? I believe that was, that was the test. And David is being tested. And God, through Abigail, as the story continues, really is providing a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So let me read a bigger chunk, chunk of the story. Verse 20. As Abigail came riding, uh, uh, as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Sounds like David is pretty worked up. He's justifying his decision. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, 
Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Okay, I know that's a big chunk, but like Abigail uh, uh, is amazingly wise and she's also a very bold woman. Because there's so much nuance in, in, in what she does and what she says. And, and there's so much, really, in a very humble but powerful way, she is calling David to reconsider what he's doing, to reconsider his reaction to Nabal's offense. And notice that like, what, what she does, what she says, it's not powerful because her appeal is humanitarian or, or one, uh, you know, one of ethics or, or judicial. Her appeal is powerful because really what she's saying to David in, 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 in this, in what I read, is David, David, you need to stop. You need to stop right now and you need to turn and look at God and you need to ask him, what would you have me do? You need to turn and like, you need to, you need to lay down, you know, that your anger, you need to lay down what's going on in you and you need to submit to him. And basically what she's saying to David She's, she's, she's quoting Proverbs 3, verse 5. David, you need to trust in the Lord with all your heart. David, you need to lean not on your own understanding. David, in all your ways, like right now, you need to submit to him because only he can make your paths straight. Right? That's such a great scripture. But she's, but she's like, David, you're in danger right now because you are leaning on your own understanding. This is super dangerous. And besides the needless bloodshed, David, if you keep going, if you don't stop, if you keep going, your heart is going to harden towards God. Because right now he is talking to you. He is talking to you. And he, he is the one who's calling you to look his way. And so let me, let me end off with three quick points as to how Abigail accomplishes that in, what, in what the text that we read and what she says. So number one, number one, she's saying to David, she's saying, David, Remember who you are. Remember who you are. This, this jumped out at me. Here's Abigail. <clears throat> Not only is she an intelligent and beautiful woman, but she is the wife of a very wealthy man. And it, you know, at a time in history when women you know, didn't have a lot of status, I think she would have had some status because her husband was, you know, was, a, was a wealthy man. And yet, when she comes to David... What does she do? She bows down to the ground. She puts her face to the ground, right? She, she to, this, to this on the run rebel, she refers to herself as his servant. And she refers to him as her Lord. What is Abigail doing? Well, I, I think she's treating David as the king that he is called to be. 
I think she's saying, in, in a very creative way, she's saying, David, this isn't you. David, this, this, this isn't who God has called you to be. He's called you to be a king that, that is under his authority. You're not a king who just randomly you know, oppresses and wipes out your people. He's called you to be a king who, who represents him to, to the people. He's called you to be a king who cares for and protects. David, you need to remember right now who, who you are. Number two, David, you need to remember who's really in charge. And again, I, I think I heard one, uh, one speaker say she's using Jedi mind tricks because she, if you look at what she says, she's, she's really saying, yeah, 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 I know you're, I know you're, you're the, the next king, but as, as great as you are, you need to remember that there is an authority way greater than you, David. Look at what she says in verse 26. And now, my Lord, speaking to David, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, and look at this, and since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. Verse 28, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Why? Oh, because you, you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Like, like she's basically... Like she's basically saying to David, hey, hey, David, you need to understand what's going on right now. It's not this woman that's blocking your path. You need to understand that this is, God is blocking your path right now. God is, he's actually keeping you from this needless uh, bloodshed. And, and David, you need, to, you need to realize that if you carry through, if you, if you take this, the vengeance into your own hands, David, it will mean you will not, like Saul, you will not have a lasting dynasty. Because God will only give a lasting dynasty to a king who submits to him, to a king who will fight the Lord's battles. That's, that's who will have a lasting dynasty. And then number three, David, consider the consequences of your actions. Like Think this through, David. Go all the way through what you're planning on doing. Verse 30, when the Lord has fulfilled from my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. I mean, she's simply but powerfully saying, David, think this through. Do you really want this on your conscience? Do you really want this scar? Do you want to carry this with you for the rest of your life? And you know, as I, I was thinking back over my life and I thought, oh boy, oh boy, I wish I, wish I had more Abigails in my youth or you know, in my life now. Then I, then I felt like God corrected me. Like, don't you think it's more, don't you wish you'd listened to more of the Abigails in, in your life? Like, because I know I have scars because I didn't consider the consequences. And I know that in my lifetime, I've left scars on, people's, on other people because I didn't consider uh, the consequences. And so here's Abigail, uh, you know, supporting role to the main character. She, but, but what she's doing, she's providing a way out. Does David take the way out? How does he respond to Abigail? Does he just draw his sword and say, you know, get out of my way, and off he goes? No, thankfully he doesn't. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. 
May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. David passes the test. He stops in all the emotions and all the offense and everything. He stops and he looks at God and he goes, you're right. You're right. I am not going to do this. I am going to, I'm going to follow you. Uh, the story ends, I'll, really quick, the story ends uh, where David doesn't have to avenge himself. God avenges David. He actually takes Nabal's life, which is crazy. And he not only takes Nabal's life, David then takes Abel's, or Nabal's wife. He ends up marrying Abigail. It'll be on Hallmark Channel later uh, in this fall. It'll, you know, it'll be at wintertime at Christmas. It always is. So let me, end, let me end with this, and we can have the worship team come on back. Okay, that's the first uh, you know, supporting role in this series. And we're going to look at, at a list of other supporting roles and my hope is, my hope is for us as a church family that, that we're going to learn more about what it means to be a supporting, a supporting role. Because what you need to understand is to be a Christian, which that word doesn't mean a lot anymore, I think, in our culture, but to be a follower of Jesus means that every day of your life, it's daily choosing to live your life as a supporting role to Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your, own, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus, what's he saying? He's saying, you know what? The invitation to follow me means I have cast you in my movie. Everyone, every human being has a role to play in this amazing movie that God is, is making, if you will. And, and, but it's a supporting role. And Jesus is saying, there's only one name on the marquee and it is not yours and it is not mine. It is the name that is above all other names. It's the name of Jesus. And so my hope as we go through this series is that we would, uh, as we look at our lives, how we react you know, as we look at our lives, what we say, what we do, how, you know, just all the stuff of life that we would increasingly, if I carry through this sort of the analogy, that we would increasingly uh, make decisions in our lives based on, okay, how is this going to make the lead look? How I act right now, how will this make him look? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.